And now he's going to talk about praying for the Colossians. And how, what a contrast with what my Bible reading has been about in Jeremiah. In Jeremiah, he wanted to get away from the people of God. Wanted to leave them. Wanted to get out of their presence. I'll quote what he said about them. He said this, Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place that I might leave my people and go from them. For they be all adulterers, an assembly of treacherous men, and they bend their tongues like their bow for lies. But they are not valiant for the truth. They proceed from evil to evil. Jeremiah was not thankful for the people that were to be called the people of God. What a contrast with the thanks that the Apostle Paul is giving for the Colossian believers. And at the same time, you know, God came to Jeremiah and he said, I don't want you to pray for them. That's what he said. Jeremiah 11, I'll just read it to you. Jeremiah eleven fourteen. Therefore, pray not thou for this people, neither lift up a cry or prayer for them, for I will not hear them. So what a contrast. Jeremiah, he's not thankful. He is overburdened with all the wickedness of the people that call themselves by the name of God. Wants to get away from them. And God says, don't pray for them. Here in our text, the Apostle Paul says, I thank God for you. And I'm praying for you without ceasing. He says that in verse number 3, Colossians chapter 1, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. And he repeated that continual prayer that he has in verse number 9. From, for this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. I'd say some people that are believers in North Korea that are getting the gospel over there need some prayer. I'd say God's people always need prayer. By the way, would you look at verse number 6? I think this is, look at verse 5. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world. And bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day you heard it. Aren't you glad the Bible tells us that that gospel is come into all the world? That, that was true even in the writing of this epistle, which is come unto you as it is in all the world. I can't explain it. I, I don't, I can't give you all the details about it, but the Bible says under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost that at this writing, the gospel had gone into all the world, and I believe that. I believe that every church, every generation of the church has an obligation to get the gospel in all the world. You say, well, that's impossible. If you can get it over there in the balloon, it's possible. These people didn't have data cards or balloon or all that kind of business, but they got the gospel in all the world. And the thing is, if God can get the gospel to you, then He, he can get the gospel to anybody. And so what a joy, but there's going to have there needs to be some prayer involved with that. Now, in these verses, we start in verse number 9. It's really one long sentence to verse number 17, which is sort of a strange thing. I guess Paul did not stop off at the grammar school, but 
I would trust this grammar better than I would in your English book. I really would. All these verses from 9 to 17, they end in either semicolons or colons. Just one long sentence. But in the midst of this, there are two things that I want to point out to you tonight that are his prayer for the Colossians. I'm convinced that all of us really don't know how to pray like we ought to pray. I don't just say that we don't pray like we should pray or pray as long as we should pray or as often, but I don't think we know how to pray as we should pray. And the reason I say that is because the Bible says you don't know how to pray as you ought. I'd say if God had to put a verse in the Bible to tell us we don't know how to pray as we ought, then we pretty much don't know how to pray as we ought. I want to talk to you about Paul's prayer for the Colossians. I want to ask you when you pray for people, is this your prayer? The Bible says in verse numbers 9, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. And to desire. Now you remember this morning the importance of this letter and how it relates to Laodicea and the last days of the church and and how it's so applicable to us. Here is the prayer request for this generation of the church here in Colossae. Do not cease to pray for you and to desire, prayer request number one, that ye might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. The first prayer request of the Apostle Paul for the Colossians, he's praying for their heart and mind's understanding. He wants them to understand something. He wants them to know something. He's praying for their spiritual perception. He wants them to know what God wants them to know. Because if they don't know what they need to know, especially in the perilous days in which they live, in which we live, how, how great danger they must be in. You know, it, you can be hurt by what you don't know. Now what is it that they, 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 they don't know? Is it the great doctrines of the Bible? That's not what he mentions. He says, I'm praying that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will. I'm praying that you all will know what the will of God is for you. Now, I'm convinced that some people don't know what, they don't want to know what the will of God is. Not not in the least bit concerned about it. And then I'm also convinced that there's a lot of saved people that are clueless about what the will of God is for their life. Now, this must be important or he wouldn't say this is what he's praying for them night and day. That they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. Now, some things of the will of God, they're easily understood because it's spelled out in the Bible. The Bible tells us in many different places, like, for example, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he says in verse number 3, For this is the will of God. You don't, you don't have to have any special spiritual understanding. You just have to be able to read. 
For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. First thing God says is His will is for you not to fornicate. Some people don't believe that. Well, I love them. It's not in the will of God. Doesn't matter how anybody feels. It matters what God says is His will for your life. He said, this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you abstain from fornication. Well, there's another one. He says, this is, he says, um, it's the will of God for all of us, First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 18, in everything give Thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I would say this. If you can't abstain from fornication and if you can't give thanks in everything, you probably will always be out of the will of God. That makes sense? So, so here's, here's the great, great truth. So many people get out of the will of God and they're not thankful and they don't understand. They can never even know the will of God if they're thankful because he spells it out in the Bible and says, this is the will of God that in everything you give thanks. That's the will of God for you. If you're not thankful, you'll never know the will of God. How's that for a spiritual truth? Unthankful Christians cannot and will not know the will of God because they are living in rebellion to the will of God. I'm talking about all the other details of life. Paul says, I'm praying for you that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will. God is not playing a guessing game with us. He he does not want us to be unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. He tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5, he says that you gave yourselves unto us and unto the Lord by the will of God. It's the will of God for you to give yourself to the Lord and to the work of the Lord. That's God's will for you. Now, now those are easy things to understand. All you have to do is be able to read. But how many other things in our lives, guys, I watch people. I've been in the ministry 30 plus years, and I watch people that are just as saved as I am get totally out of the will of God. And they're like a fish out of water. And they're going in circles like the children of Israel in the wilderness. And some of them, I just pray for them and be silent. Because they don't want to hear what I have to say anyway. And others, even in this office back here, I've I've looked across the desk and said, this is not the will of God for you to do this. And then we'll go ahead and do it anyway. And they say, no, I believe this is the will of God. And you know what proves out? It proves out that they had no idea what the will of God was because of what followed in their life. Now listen, if the Apostle Paul is praying above their doctrinal knowledge for them to have the knowledge of His will in this last generation of the church, how important is it for us to know His will for our lives? That we would be filled with that knowledge. Now now look at your text again. There are only two prayer requests here. Verse number 9. 
that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will. How are we going to do that? Watch, watch, watch your Bible. In all what? Wisdom. I just quoted a verse from Ephesians. Be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. That means this. If we are unwise, if we don't have the wisdom of God, we will not know what the will of God is. You need wisdom to know what God's will is. That's why we preach so long through the book of Proverbs, verse by verse, because it's full of wisdom. Do you know wise people, people that are, that are unwise, for some reason it never dawns on them what the will of God is because they're unwise in their life and they're unwise in the spiritual things of life as well. God desires that we stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. God does not want us to miss His will for our lives. But fools know nothing. And just because you're saved don't mean you're not foolish. Jesus was walking with his disciples after the resurrection. And he says, you you two are a bunch of fools. Look me up. Look it up. I mean, they are down in the dumps. Well, they're out of the will of God because they're down in the dumps. Because it's the will of God and everything give what? They're not thankful. They're complaining. You will never know the will of God if you have that attitude. You just won't. And I tell you what, I don't know. I don't, I, maybe I need to just slow down, but I'm telling you what, Brother Gary, I have noticed people that are so unhappy and so unthankful, they are seeking for everything in the world in the wrong place. And what they don't understand is until you get thankful, you are not going to know what God's will is anyway. You're never going to find it. Here are these two disciples. They're complaining. They are kicking the, kicking the dirt. And Jesus, the resurrected Lord, is walking with him. So why are you guys so sad? Well, don't you know? They crucified Jesus. And we had hoped that he was the Messiah. Well, that showed where their faith was. They already lost their faith that he was, he was who he said he was. And they are his disciples. And so Jesus starts just preaching to them. And he starts like this. Oh, fools. And slow of heart to believe. Now, now you answer the question. Can saved, born again, Jesus following people be fools? Yes or no? How about this phrase? Oh, foolish Galatians. Is that in the Bible? You know what I'd say? You can sit right here in this church and you can be foolish. They were in that Bible. I don't want to be a foolish Christian. And here's, here's, here's the truth. If I do not have the wisdom of God, I will not know the will of God. And how can you do something that you don't even know what it is? He said, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom. What a prayer. And how, why, why don't we do more what the Bible says? If any lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. You say, well, I've done that. I didn't get it. Well, that's because you fit the, the next verse. 
But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavered is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. And let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the, of the Lord. You know, I think sometimes our prayer for other people is, Lord, would you please fill them with the knowledge of your will. Now, it's one thing if you don't know what the will of God is. It's another thing if you know what it is and you don't do it. But we're living in a day where people don't even know what the will of God is. They think it's the will of God for them to be a part of things God's not a part of. They think it's the will of God for them to have relationships that God never, never intended for them to have relationships. And they'll put God's name on it. There are people today that are homosexual in the name of God. There are people that drink their, their alcohol to the glory of God. And they're convinced. Jesus even said, they're going to people, they'll put you to his disciples, put you to death and think he does God's service. Don't know the will of God. Paul says, you Colossians, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will. How important that is. Because if you don't know what that will is, you're going to be out of place. Look at verse 1 of the chapter, Colossians 1.1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the what? By the will of God. Paul said, I didn't choose this profession. This was God's will for me to do what I'm doing. Paul did not go to Colossae. We mentioned that this morning. Paul went everywhere, but he didn't go there. They hadn't seen his face. He only heard about their faith. Why didn't he go there? What in the will of God for him to go there? Have you read the book of Acts? Paul started to head off this way, and the Holy Ghost said, Nope, don't go that way. Not my will for you to go that way. He said, Well, I'll go this way. He said, No, you're not going to go that way. Not my will for you to go that way. I want you to go into Macedonia. Paul was an apostle, by the way. You know what's, what's wrong with many of us, sometimes God's people? We're doing what we want to do, and we don't stop to ask God what he wants to do. But this is what we do. We sound spiritual. We find out what we want to do, and then we tell everybody it's what God wants us to do. Just quit being so spiritual and just say, this is what I want to do. <laughs> I mean, just, just be honest about it. I didn't fast about this three or four days. <laughs> you know why I'm the pastor of this church? It's just, about, it's just about the will of God. It was God's will for me to be here. I didn't aspire to be here. I didn't ask to be It was God's will for me to be here. I said, yes, sir. It was God's will for Paul to be an apostle after killing people. He said, yes, sir. And God said, I want you to be apostle of the Gentiles. You know what? That didn't always sit well with Paul either. He wanted to be a... He kept wanting to go to the Jews. And God said, I'm sending you to the Gentiles. We don't get to do what we... We do the will of God. And if tomorrow God Almighty says, Hey, son, you're through here and I'm going to send you somewhere else. I'm supposed to live by the will of God, just like you, just like all of us. Epaphras in this, in this book, he was the pastor, and then God sent him somewhere else. He, got, he found himself in prison. 
God had to bring another guy along to take it. Guys, we need to let the will of God control our lives. And Paul is praying that they would be filled with all the fullness of the knowledge of God in wisdom. You need the wisdom of the Lord to even know what the will of God. The second thing about knowing God's will. We look at verse 9 again. Desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom. And then he says, and spiritual understanding. Spiritual understanding. That means in order to know the will of God, you have to be spiritual. It's a spiritual understanding. It's just like uh, helping restore somebody that's overtaken in a fault. Ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. You cannot know the will of God if you're not spiritual. It's like this. Here's somebody, it seems like everything they've done, they make a mess, but yet they think they know what the will of God is. And here's somebody that doesn't know anything about the fruit of the Spirit, you know, which is love and joy and peace and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness. They don't know anything about that, but they think they know what God wants them to do in their life. Guys, you know there's no way for me to know the will of God if I'm not walking with God. If the Spirit of God is not filling my life. Knowing the will of God is a spiritual understanding. How did our dear brother know not to go back to this place, but to go to this place? Because he had to be walking with God. If you're not filled with the Holy Ghost, you'll never know what to do. And by the way, people, you ought to be able to tell, and other people do, if, if you're filled with the Holy Ghost. I mean, it's pretty obvious if, if, to yourself. Can you be honest and sit down? Let me, let me look at the fruit of the Spirit. That's me. I'd say this. If you don't have peace, you don't have very good spiritual understanding. But you know, you, you know what people without any peace do? They go running to look for the will of God and they can't find it. The knowledge of the will of God it comes when we have a spiritual understanding. We've yielded ourselves to the Lord. We're walking with God. The Holy Ghost is filling our lives with His fruit. And we understand His will as He fills our lives. I've asked people before, they go make a decision in their life. I say, and they say, I think this will have God. I said, how's your Bible reading going lately? And they just look at me. You've been reading your Bible every day? How's your prayer life going? How's your love, joy, peace, gentleness going? How's all that going? Well, preacher, I'm not talking about that. I said, well, I know, but that's what I'm talking about. You're going to come in here and tell me you know the will of God and you can't even read your Bible every day? What a joke! It's a spiritual understanding! We think we can know the will of God and we can't even spend time in prayer. We can't even let the Holy Ghost control our... Do you understand why he's praying this? 
You people in this generation, you need to be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. You'll never know that without the fruit of the Spirit. I've, I've, I've said this to, to, to one, of my, one of my children. I, I said this to one of my daughters. I said, that's not the will of God. And they said, how do you know that, Daddy? I said, because I know God better than you do. And then I say this, do you think you walk with God more than me? I, I'm listening. Are you closer to the Lord than me? I, I'm listening. So if you don't think you're closer to the Lord than me, why would you listen to your own heart and not listen to your dad? Why would you trust your own heart and mind that you know is not as close to God as it should be, but yet you think you know what you're supposed to do? So we need to be praying, Lord, would you fill our loved ones? Would you fill our children? Would you fill our friends? Would you, would you f- fill our spouses with the knowledge of your will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding? I wonder how many people get prayed that prayed over like that but yet we complain if they if they flunk out how many people have you prayed that prayer for Lord please fill them with the knowledge of your will at least if they do wrong let them walk over the will of God knowing what it was It's a spiritual understanding. I'll quote you another verse. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good acceptable and perfect will of God. You know what he's saying? You can't know the will of God if you're not consecrated to God, if you have not given yourself to God, if you've not resigned to your own will. There is no way you'll know the will of God. The only way to prove the will of God is give God everything. And as long as you're holding out, you're not going to know about it. Isn't that what Brother Finney was preaching to us about? One little phrase... He ran out of time. One little phrase. He said, if you find your life, you lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake. You see that little phrase? Lord, my life is for your sake. I'll never know the will of God if my life is not for his sake. I'll never know the will of God if I don't give it over to him. Busting my head against the wall all the days of my life, never being filled with the knowledge of His will, because I have no spiritual understanding. I, I, I do not have the heart and the mind that can know the will of God because I'm holding out on Him. I'm not willing to lose my life in His will, so I don't know His will. 
I pray, he says, that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. The, the second part of his prayer request. Verse 10. The first one, that ye might. That, that means it's a question. <laughs> it might not happen. It might happen. It might not happen. Sort of up to you. That ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will. Number two, verse 10. That ye might, there's a phrase again, phrase again walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. He's saying, I, verse prayer, I'm praying for your heart and your mind's understanding. I'm praying for your perception. But now I'm also praying for the way you live your life. That goes from what's in your brain and in your heart and how you think to how you are living your life. Is that not of such importance in the last days of His church? He said, I'm praying that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. I want your life to please God. I want you to live a lifestyle that's worthy of the Lord. Now listen, none of us are worthy in ourselves. You can never be worthy of God, but you can walk worthy because it's in the Bible. None of us are worthy, but we can walk worthy. Matter of fact, it's not just in the Bible once. It's in the Bible twice. He says in 1 Thessalonians, I'll read it to you in your hearing, 1 Thessalonians 2.12, that ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. He's praying for the way they're living their lives. There's a responsibility for all of us who have been born again that have received the word of God. We've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We've been called to be a peculiar people. We've been a people that's supposed to be separated from this world and live differently in our lives. To walk worthy of the Lord. A life that's worthy of Jesus' sacrifice for me. Today, sadly, you can't tell anything apart from a Christian's lifestyle than you can somebody that's not even a Christian. Says they're a Christian. Walk worthy. That means how you walk, how you live. What you do, how you talk, let the stuff that comes out of your mouth be worthy of God. Let the clothes that you wear be worthy of God. Let the things that you watch and the places you go be worthy of God because of what He has done for you, how He saved you. Don't walk the same way as Gentiles walk. Don't walk the same way of people that have never been redeemed by the grace of God. He said, I'm praying that you'll walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. A worthy lifestyle is one that God's pleased with. There are some things that other people do I can't do because... I don't think that, that, that it's worthy of the Lord. 
Jesus lives in here. Can't do that. It has nothing to do with me being saved. It has to do with me walking worthy of God. How do I do that? Can I have just a couple more minutes? Matthew 10. I'll show you how to walk worthy. It'd be, it'd be terrible me just preach to you about walking worthy and not show you how to do that. It's right in the Bible. Matthew chapter 10. He said in Matthew chapter 10, verse number 10, Jesus sending his disciples out. He said in Matthew 10, 10, nor script for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet stays, for the workman is worthy of his meat. Worthy. In other words, if, you, if you'll work for me, then you'll be worthy of the payment that comes or the reward that comes for the work. In other words, if we're going to walk worthy of God, we need to do something for God. He talks about bearing fruit in Colossians chapter 1. He talks about, twice he talks about bearing fruit. And he talks about increasing. We need to do something for God because He's worthy of us to do something for Him. The workman is worthy. Not the lazy guy. The workman. Is worthy. What have you done for the Lord? I mean, it could be a cup of cold water. It could be cleaning the toilets back here. It could be keeping the nursery. It could be going to the nursing home. It could be passing a track. It could be holding a scripture sign. It could be uh, staying in fervent prayer uh, for, for the needs of the missionaries. It, it, it could be a million things. But how many times do we live our life? And if we look back on a week lived, there are so few things we've really done for God. Most of them have just been done for us. If you want to walk worthy of the Lord, do something for the Lord. Just do anything for him. But plant it. You don't plant it, you won't do it. You said, Preacher, man, I'm, all that North Korea stuff, wow. That's great. Yeah, well, you don't even have to send a balloon to get a gospel to your neighbor. You don't even have to have a microchip. They won't even put you in jail for holding a scripture sign. Can you imagine that? I mean, you can even preach on the street. And as long as you're careful and wise about it, they won't bother you. Isn't it amazing? Some people are doing so much for God, putting their life on the line, and we can't even figure out to do stuff for God, and it's easy. We're going to walk worthy of God? Do something for him. Do, do some work for him. The next verse, Matthew chapter 10, verse number 11. And into whatsoever city or town ye shall enter, inquire who in it is, what's the word? Worthy. And there, what is, what is he talking about? We're all unworthy. <laughs> the context, no, everybody's not unworthy. Verse 11, and there abide till you go thence. Verse 12, and when you come into a house, salute it, and the house be what? Worthy, let your peace come upon it, but if it be not what? 
worthy, let your peace return to you. Verse 14, and whosoever, watch it, shall not receive you nor hear your words when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. What is the determination whether a house or a city is worthy? If they listen when God spoke to them. If they receive the word of God or not. You know how we can walk worthy? By keeping an open heart to whatever God wants to say to me. Guys, you can be in church and still slam the door shut and not let God speak to you. All you have to do is get bitter. All you have to do is have an agenda. All you have to do is let circumstances or problems invade your life. And you can come to the church and not hear anything from God, though God's been speaking. Why? Because your heart's not opening. God says this, if you want to have a worthy walk, you better keep the channel open and let me say whatever I want to say to you. And if you'll listen as I talk to you, you'll have a walk that's worthy. Walk worthy by our works. Walk worthy by our receiving and believing the truth. Look at verse 37 in the same chapter. I think I'll close with this. I could go on and on about how to walk worthy. The Bible says if we defile ourselves, if we defile our hearts, if we let things of the world invade our lives and our hearts, we're not walking worthy. That's Revelation 3, 4 and Mark 7, uh, 20 to 23. But this is what I want to conclude with. How? Can I walk worthy of the Lord in all pleasing? By doing something for Him. By believing and listening and receiving what He's saying to me. And then verse number 37 of Matthew 10. I don't think it's any accident the word worthy is all through this chapter. 37, he that loveth father or mother more than me is not, what's the word? Worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not what? Worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not what? Worthy of me. And then verse 39 is what we heard preached on Tuesday. If I'm going to walk worthy, I've got to love the Lord Jesus Christ more than any other relationship. Or my walk is not worthy. He demands me love him more than I love my own children, love my own wife. You say, that doesn't sound very healthy. Oh, it's very healthy because if I'll love the Lord Jesus Christ, first of all, I'll be a much better husband and a much better father. And the reason that people aren't better fathers and, and better mothers and better children and better parents is because they don't love the Lord preeminently. And the Lord says, every relationship you've got, You make sure that you love me more than you love them or you're not worthy of me. He says, you take up your cross and if you're not willing to take up your cross, you're not worthy of me. Those Thessalonian Christians, he said, that suffered so much, he said, he he mentions the word worthy about those Thessalonian Christians. Because they suffered for the Lord. They were willing to take up a cross. They were willing to let every other relationship pale in comparison to their love for the Lord. Guys, you know how easy we listen to our testimony of our dear brother tonight. 
and we, we can just listen to that and let it go right into our hearts and minds and right out our ears and we not understand that that's somebody's brother, that's somebody's dad, that's somebody's child over there that's given their life and be throwing and thrown into prison and living in total oppression because they love the same Jesus that you love. You know what I say? I say those people over there that are suffering like that for the cause of Christ and they love the Lord that much, you know what they have? They have a worthy walk. They're walking worthy of the Lord. God, the Lord deserves that kind of devotion. He deserves that kind of commitment. My only question is, what kind of commitment do I have? How deep is my love for Him? Oh, how deep the Father's love for us. I know that. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Oh, I got that. But if I'm going to walk worthy of the Lord, I've got to love Him more than father, more than mother, more than child, more than my own life. And if I don't, I'm not walking worthy of it. And Paul says, I'm praying I'm praying that you would walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. If those prayers are for us, would they be answered? Am I filled with the knowledge of His will? And am I walking worthy of the Lord?